Welcome to our 67th episode of Breaking Bread with C. My name is Celeste Mundu. I am your host on this podcast. And last time we spoke about the love of God controlling us. And I believe that episode blessed a lot of people to understand the things that we do for God must come as a response. If you have listened to episode 45 and 46, I touched on how what we do for him is meaningful to us and to him if we do it as a response rather than a duty taken with drudgery and hidden disappointment. Many people like to talk about God as one who will use them. While there is no problem with that statement in itself, but the understanding that it stirs in the heart of someone who's not fully sanctified, who has not yet come to the saving knowledge of truth, this person thinks that God is going to use them as men use them. For example, if this is a person who has been abused, if this is a person who has been in relationships where it was not always reciprocated, where everything they did was not reciprocated, if they have grown up in a home where parents just treated their children as their own property and never gave them room to express themselves, to show who they really are and to grow into the understanding of who God has called them to be. The word God will use you might land differently from a person who feels that that this God using them is more like a response to something they have encountered in God that enables them to serve him wholeheartedly, to feel privileged to be able to serve him. These two people will have a different understanding of the word being used. So I encourage you to listen to episode 45 and 46. I believe one is called love as a response and second service as a response. And that will bless you and will give you kind of groundwork and understanding to what I'm going to talk about today. Um, So today, I just felt a stirring in my spirit to share something that God taught me earlier on in my walk with him and it has truly revolutionized how I approach God and mostly how I carry an unshakable consciousness that when I pray he hears me. Most of you have heard how I like to close my prayer on this podcast especially I say I thank you that you hear me when I pray that might sound boastful again to someone who has not yet encountered or experienced that place in God but it is not boastful when you have truly encountered God in that instance and you serve him as a response you love him as a response to his love because he loved you first when he when I came to the understanding that when I was in the world when I was fornicating when I was drinking and partying and wasting my life when I was exposing myself to all kinds of dangers that could have even taken my life at this point I know I wouldn't be here but when I come to the understanding that even at that time God knew that this time today I would be preaching his gospel I would be full-on in ministry I would be turned around and sold out for good (laughs) and he still loved me then and there is nothing he's gonna add today because I'm serving him There's nothing that is going to move him to love me more today because I'm serving him that he did not love me then when I was not, when I was completely estranged to his love and his affection and his desire to see me cross over to the other side. When I understood that, it it flipped the script on its head. Even serving God did not feel like... um, like a task where I have to drag my feet. It never feels like I'm giving of myself because I know that even then he used to see me. Even then, 
because he knows what's to come. He knows what was and he knows what is. And that is also the reason why I don't feel like there's a mistake or a sin I will fall into because we're still in the in the body and what we desire to do we don't necessarily do. Paul says it in in in, in Romans chapter 7. He talks about the fact that by by low by but the trouble with this law is that I don't really understand myself. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But I know that what I am doing is wrong. And this shows that I agree that the law of God is also good. So even if we've been set free from that law, we know that the law was good. It was spiritual. It was perfect. When it says don't commit adultery, don't fornicate, don't covet, don't kill, don't steal. All those things were good. It's not just a way of putting a handcuffs on us so that we don't live our best lives. But when we do any of those things inside our own hearts, we know that it is wrong. So how do we know that it is wrong? It's because we agree that it is good not to do any of that. We agree that the law of God was without fault. Now, when we say we are under the spirit, we are under the the leading of God, we have died to the law. It's because where there is a law, sin has power. Satan takes it as an opportunity right to have something to 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 poke you with right to tell you oh you're wrong because it is written that you shall not covet but because you have died to this law he gives a great example in the beginning of of chapter seven he says for example that's verse two for example when a woman marries the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive if he dies the law of marriage does not apply to her anymore that's why the church and the state will marry you without asking you any other paperwork i don't know if some of you know it but a divorced person does not get married again under the church that has the constitution of christ because before god this person is still in the marital covenant because their their spouse is still alive so Paul is saying, if a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he lives. But if he dies, the law of marriage no longer applies to her. So while her husband is alive, that would be considered adultery if she married another man. If her husband dies, she is free from that law because she's not committing adultery since this person is not alive anymore. You understand, and the and the opposite applies if whether it be a man or a woman. So this is the point. We die to the power of that law of you shall not covet, you shall not um, steal, you shall not commit adultery, and this thing. We die to its power, right? Because we have received Christ. It is esteemed that when we receive Christ, our affections are changed on a daily basis. The things we desire are changed because there is now another government that has taken over our lives. It is esteemed that the desires that exist in the mind and the heart of Christ become what we also desire since we have become one with him. It is esteemed that a person who has received this person of Christ in them will now desire everything that honors God. Because when we look at the life that Christ lived, when he came in the body to show us that it is possible, then he was showing us that everything that he did was to the intent of pleasing the Father. Even before he died, he said, not my will, but yours be done. There is something I want. There is something I am fearful about in my body because I am limited by the human body. But at the end of the day, my desire of desires is to please you. So not my will, but yours be done. So as a result, because we are united with the one who was raised from the dead, who was perfect and desired to only please God, as a result, we can also produce a harvest of good deeds for God. That's why a person who understands that Christ in them is the one who is performing this service unto God will never burn out.
They will never feel like they don't want to go to church to serve. They'll never feel like they don't want to be in the fellowship of the saints. There are people who don't have a problem attending all three services and they will feel like it's the first one. And they will approach all three services where the same thing is being preached. And in every single one of them, they will feel as though there's something different that is being taught. They will learn something new because they're not approaching it with dragging their feet. They're not approaching it with drudgery and feeling like, ah, I already know everything they're going to say. They approach every message of everything that is speaking the gospel, the truth of God, as if it has something new in it for them. And true to his word, they will find something new. Have you ever had a pastor who teaches a sermon and you are there physically, you are present in the church, you did not miss the worship, you did not miss the sermon, you did not miss the closing prayer, the altar call, you were there during everything. But then two weeks later, you listen to the sermon and it's like it's teaching you something completely different from two Sundays ago when you were in there. That's what it means. That's when you know that you take pleasure in everything that pertains to God, that pertains to serving and loving God, to growing in God, to having seeds and fruits that show. Now, this is not even what I was supposed to talk about today, but I had to lay groundwork for you to understand where I'm going today. So, in the popular Psalm, Psalm 91, David starts his exhortation with these words. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So what is this secret place? The word secret place in Hebrew is Seter, right? It's read Seter, S-E-T-E-R, but it's read S-A-Y-T-H-E-R. Maybe I'll make a little poster about it and explain it as I have been doing on Instagram. This word means the covert of the mountain. A covert is something that is conceived to hide. It's a covering. It's a shelter, okay? It's a hiding place. So this reference first comes in Exodus chapter 19. Number one, in Exodus chapter 19, we're told of a story where God revealed himself as 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 um he revealed himself in mount sinai and he told moses that these people were not to approach this mountain whether it be an animal whether it be people even a stone if you threw it towards that mountain it would be burned and calcinated okay so this mountain where god revealed himself was because the people were so defiled by sin that they could not stand god's holiness they could not stand in his presence and not be consumed because of their sin. And the second mountain that we read in scripture is Mount Zion, which now Paul tells us in, in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, that it is the assembly of heaven. It is the city of the living God because it is the church of the firstborn, which is Christ. And it is filled with the spirits of just men made perfect through Jesus, who is the mediator of the new covenant. My God, my God, my God. So when David says he who dwells in the secret place, he means he that dwells on Mount Zion, on the mountain in which God dwells. He who dwells in the place where God always is, okay, abides under the shadow of the Almighty. Let me explain this. Think of a mountain, okay? It is high, it is big, you can't see what's on the other side, it looks strong, and you would feel as though if there was a kind of opening under the mountain, which is like a cave that no one can see, you would think that if you hide under that mountain, if there is a way to enter the bottom of that mountain, even war in the nation wouldn't reach you. 
any beast, any lion, any drone or bombs or missiles or anything that could be sent that scares the human out of their bodies. You wouldn't be worried about it if you are underneath a big mountain. If you had a way to enter underground and just be hidden, <clears throat> excuse me, under that mountain, okay? You you can't think of yourself dying when you're under a mountain. Even if it's an earthquake, it will it will still be on the surface of the mountain as opposed to being underneath. Now David is telling us that dwelling in the secret place, dwelling under the covering of the mountain, dwelling under a secret shelter means that you will be under the shadow of the Almighty. It becomes the shadow of the Almighty because God has revealed himself through a mountain, okay? So it is symbolic. It is not necessarily that God is in a mountain, but it is symbolic to kind of paint an image of that holy illustration into your mind by relating it to something that you physically know, that you physically see. Because the things of God are ethical, they are divine, they are above and beyond our understanding. So they use these metaphors and these illustrations so that our mind can have a kind of apprehension of what is being talked about. You know, if if you if you remember um, kindergarten or maternelle for some of you who went to French school, there everything used to be drawn, right? And everything that we had to memorize had to be put in a song because it helps the mind remember it more. So when we hear stories of mountains, of God being in a mountain, it's also a kind of illustration to show you that divine protection that is very strong. So that's the first meaning. A second meaning is a veil. When Christ died, the Bible tells us that there was a veil that was tore, the one that separated the holies of holies from the other place where people gathered. Okay? Now, this demonstrates our open access to God. Okay? So this means that we have not come onto the Mount Sinai that people approached and died because of their iniquity, because they were defiled by sin. But because now Jesus has taken over our sin and Jesus has engulfed and enveloped us in his holiness and his love and his perfection and the way he pleases God and the desires that seek to please God, we are not we are not like separated from our God. There is no more veil between us and God. And then what I love about Hebrews 12 is that Paul calls it the assembly of heaven and the city of a living God. Okay, It becomes a city because you can walk into a city. If you have a visa to a certain nation, you walk in it with freedom. You buy things, you rent a hotel, you enter restaurants, you buy airtime for your phone, just as regular citizens do. You might not vote, you might not know all the areas, but you enter the city with freedom because you have a visa that allows you to be there. So our visa now becomes Christ. The third meaning of this, of this secret place, of this dwelling of the Most High, is a, of this mountain, sorry, is a protection and a defense. So a man who lives in the presence of God has so many things that they are kept and protected from that they might not even know that they might not even know. I'll give you an example. One time I woke up, um, the spirit woke me up. Now, I know when I am awakened by a sound or a noise or or just disturbed in my sleep. Maybe there's a neighbor who's playing music. Maybe there are kids playing in the compound behind my window. And I know how to feel like that just disturbed me and woke me up, okay? And I know how to recognize that, that I've been awakened by some by a disturbance because I wake up tired, I wake up feeling like my sleep indeed has been cut short. 
The difference between that and when the spirit wakes me up and I know he needs my attention awake and sober is I wake up maybe after having slept for three hours. I've not had my complete seven hours of sleep. And I wake up and I feel like I am so energetic. I feel like how I feel when I have had complete sleep through the night. And I'm just awakened and I feel like my mind is fixated on a worship song. My mind is fixated on the, on the scripture. Or I wake up from a dream that is still very vivid and I just speak in tongues to like draw out everything that the dream desires to tell me. So this night I'm awakened. I had been asleep for about three hours. I went to bed a little late around 11 and this was about 2 a.m. So I wake up and I feel in my spirit a scripture i believe it's it's in um psalm 5 i'll probably find it and put it in the description it says you my lord guard my lot you guard my lot and in that moment i was like okay what is it about the scripture it was in my spirit it kept ringing and i said okay i don't really understand what's going on but i felt a very big urge to pray because I couldn't go back to bed. I was energetic. I was fine. So I started to pray in tongues because when I don't really understand what's going on, I'd rather pray in the spirit because the Bible tells us that the spirit intercedes for us with groans too deep. Okay. So I pray in the spirit. I pray in the spirit until I feel a knees coming upon me. This ease came upon me and I felt like, okay, I'm all right now. And I tried to go back to sleep and indeed, I fell asleep. Okay, I fell asleep. I fell asleep and it wasn't hard for me to get a, to fall asleep again because I had prayed. I had been available to the request of the Lord. And that scripture is in Psalm 16 verse 5. Thank you, Lord. And it says, you, my Lord, guard my lot. You guard the portion, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup, so you maintain my lot. Then it was a Sunday morning, I remember it very well. And in the morning, when I wait when I woke up from that little nap I took after praying, I took a shower, got ready to go to church, and the moment I got outside of my door and locked the house and walked to my car. I found everything from the glove compartment, from everywhere. Like everything was scattered on my seat. Everything was scattered on my seat. Now, the night before, I had gone to the groceries and I had left my wallet in the glove compartment. And when I got to the door of my car, I hadn't even opened it yet. I just saw everything there. My wallet was there. My cards were scattered on the ta- on, on the seat, on the passenger seat. And my heart dropped. Because I was like, if somebody took any picture of my cards, if somebody took... Because I didn't carry cash, but there were cards there. And some of them are credit cards. That means they don't need a, 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 a PIN code to use it. So in my heart, I said, if somebody took any of these cards, I'm going to be in trouble. So I opened my car. I check everything. I put it back in its place. Every single one of my cards was still there. And I opened my bank app on my phone and I realized that actually there's nothing that has been taken. There's no money, be it on my debit or my credit cards. There's nothing that was taken. And in there, I knew immediately that at the time at 2 a.m. when the spirit woke me up and placed that scripture in my heart to pray in it in the spirit. That's most likely when the robbery was happening outside my house and somebody was trying to get in my car. I believe I had not locked my car, which is why they didn't break any window. The car looked like somebody just opened the door as you normally would. But you see, if I had not woken up and responded to the nudge of the spirit, and this is the mistake that many people make, especially believers. If you're awakened in the middle of the night for no apparent reason, pray. Even when you don't know what's going on, just pray. If you have the gift of speaking in tongues, 
pray in tongues. Let the Spirit intercede for you. You don't know the kind of things that you are stopping by the power of the prayers that you're making. You could be stopping an accident from happening from a relative who might be in a completely different country. You could be stopping someone you know from having any form of miscarriages. You could be stopping a marriage from breaking. There could be some um, physical abuse going on somewhere with people connected to you. And God is waking you up so that there is a man to pray. So our prayers don't necessarily instruct God what to do. No, but they bring a covering. They bring an agreement. They bring something that stirs him to move so that he can come in agreement. God is a spirit and he has given us his Holy Spirit to discern the things that are not present even in our physical sight, but that go beyond our physical sight. And so Since he has set the principle that in everything he desires to do in the world, he will come through one of his children. He will come through a man. He needs a man to be in agreement with what he wants to do. He wants to protect. He wants to love. He wants to restore. So when you wake up in that middle of the night by the power of the Holy Spirit and you pray, you pray in the Spirit, you allow the Spirit of God to intercede through you, then there is a man coming into agreement with what God wants to do. So the Bible tells us even in Ezekiel that God says to the prophet, I looked for a man to stand in the gap and I couldn't find any. Can you imagine? God wants to save an entire city and he says, I just needed one man to pray, one man, and it will change it. So now the secret place is this covering of God. So when David says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, we are not saying spend your life praying 24-7. We understand that you have work to do. We understand that you have a school to attend. We understand that you're a parent and you have young children to look over. We understand that you have to drop them to school, that you have deliverables at work. We understand all these things. We're not telling you to do something that is impossible. But now we have the Spirit of God living in us we have the spirit of god praying in us i don't think you understand the privilege that this is the people of the old testament needed to gather physically they needed to have a priest to do a full ritual like sacrifice an animal for the atonement of sin they needed to be physically present in the temple they needed to attend these bible studies in in unison the boys had to study the torah they had to sit under a certain teacher But today you and I have this privilege of having our Bibles, the same Torah that they had to sit under a certain teacher. They had to leave their homes when they were still very young boys, 12, 11, 13. And they had to leave and go sit under a teacher, a Pharisee most likely, which could be the equivalent of your pastor today or your seminary. They had to leave and go see there physically, leave their families. They're tender. They're still young. They want to be with mom and dad, but they had to learn that. Now, today we have the privilege of having the Bible apps on our phones. We have it at arm's reach. You can order a Bible on Amazon. You can walk to Charisma and buy it. You have access to it. Not only that, it has been transformed into audio format, which means you don't even have to sit and open it and then do nothing else in that moment. You could be at work typing on your computer and you have your, ear, you have your earphones in your ears playing the audio Bible. You are staying under the secret place. You are dwelling in the secret place. Every time you play a song, it is a worship song. It has been inspired by the word of God. So your mind has no time to wonder. There are things that people are very negligent about. When somebody serves the kingdom of the world or serves Satan, these celebrities that many of you love so much that pay 
exorbitant amounts to attend their concerts, they have so some of them, not all, but some of them, most of them, in fact, have sold their souls to Satan. So everything that they produce is given, is 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 this is it's distributed on an altar that is defiled. So if the spirits, okay, that are there, the spirits that are being ministered to, the spirits that are also ministering are from the altar of Satan. Those are going to be spirits of lust. Those are going to be spirits of violence. Those are going to be spirits of depression. Those are going to be spirits of different things that you have no idea of. So there's a reason why a man will sing a song and somehow you will feel in your body that you want to to be held by a man or a woman. You want to kiss somebody. There's a time you will hear a song and you will feel everything in you is aroused. Why do you think that is? There is a spirit that is ministering through that song because of the ritual or the altar on which the artist who is producing this music where they have sacrificed their offering what they have decided to do whom they have decided to serve on the other hand there's a reason why there's a man who is going to just sing let's worship god and he starts and says hallelujah And all of a sudden, the power of God touches you and puts you to the ground. Or you just feel a man singing, my daddy, my daddy. And all of a sudden, you start speaking in tongues, unprovoked. It doesn't matter if you're in the restroom. It doesn't matter if you're in your room. It doesn't matter if you're dozing off. It's because there's another spirit on the other hand that is ministering because the sacrifice and the, and the, and the, and the, and uh, how can I call it? And the submission of this man is on a different altar that ministers something different. So when your pastors, your teachers, your uh, anyone who gives you the gospel, whom you listen to, when they're telling you don't listen to secular music, it's not of a spiritualizing things, because life in itself is spiritual. So if you are listening to gospel all day. Whether you know it or not, there is something that is being produced in your spirit. There is something that you are feeding. There is a spirit that you are ministering to. And because a spirit is like a muscle, you enlarge it. You train it. You strengthen it. You grow it by the amount of food that you give it. By the amount of servicing that you provide for it. And now, the spirit of God is serviced by this music. It is serviced by reading the word of God. It is serviced by when me and you sit and we start to have conversations that are biblically aligned. There are people that I love spending time with. And I realize that we've sat down for two, three, four hours and we're just discussing the word of God. We're just discussing, oh my God, do you know this thing? This, oh my God, the Lord told me this. He started breaking this down for me. He started giving me this dream. I received this instruction. And you realize that four hours have easily gone by and you're just discussing things of God. And you wonder, oh my God, this is so sweet. And by the time you part ways, you feel like you haven't even finished your conversation. These things are possible. You are servicing, you are feeding this spirit in you. When you wake up and you just say, thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you that I am still here. Thank you that there's a purpose in my life that you need to accomplish. And I am here because you're not done. And you start to speak those words. You are feeding that spirit. On the other hand, the other contrast that I am giving you. When you are listening to these other words, these songs that are being that are being sung by the secular artists that have probably committed to serve Satan so that they can maintain wealth, so that they can maintain fame, okay? When you are listening to this, you are also ministering to that sinful nature that already exists in your body. There's already that sin that is alive that stands there. Paul says in chapter 7, chapter seven, Romans chapter 7, verse 7, 
Well, then am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, the law showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting, for instance, is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. But sin took this command and used it to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. Have you ever realized that there are things that when they are not prohibited, you have no interest in doing them? Like when they have not told you you can't go here, all of a sudden you want to go to that place, you see? When your parents, when you're growing as a teenager and your parents tell you you can't go to the club, all of a sudden, all you want to do is to go to the club. Why do you think that is? It's because sin uses a command. When we say law, probably you get lost. Let me simplify it for you. Every time there is something that is placed before you and you're told not to do it, the sin that exists in your members immediately will want to do it. It is what Satan uses to arouse a desire to do it because now there is a law, there is a command against that sin. But when you have not been told to touch anything, sometimes you don't even touch it. Or you have siblings, you live in the same house and then you buy a a little box of ice cream. And then once you get home, you tell them, I don't want anyone to touch my ice cream that is in the fridge. All of a sudden, everyone in the house wants ice cream. And if you had come quietly and put it in the fridge and went to take your nap in peace, they might not have touched it. They might even have opened the fridge and seen it, but they're like, "Ah, okay, since it's there, I will eat it tomorrow or the day after. They have no desire because there was no command given not to touch it, not to approach it. So now, dwelling in the secret place of the Most High means you are tethered, you are charged, you are connected to a source that continues to feed the Spirit of God that is in you. It's not that God gave you an immature spirit. It's not that God's spirit at work in you is incomplete. But it is that the spirit that God gave you demands a diligence, a willingness on your part to grow and show you more things. So God begins to entrust you, to give you more because he has realized that he can trust you. That's the pattern. So now let's go back to how one dwells in the secret place. I have given you some tips. Listen to music that draws you to God. And some gospel songs, by the way, don't draw you to God. Some of them just push you to cry because the artist who sang it, sang it in a time where they felt depressed or they felt like they are doubting God and it had no revelation. The music that is produced from the throne room of God, you feel it. Number one, it never goes away. There are songs we are singing from 1852. We are singing them today and they're still fresh. People are still taking time to cover them. People are still taking time to make newer, newer, newer versions of those songs so that they don't disappear in the test of time. But there are other gospel songs that you listen to and you feel like you are more sad than when you started listening to it. There's a problem there. So be very careful about how you feel, how what is being ministered to in you, because it reveals what is being ministered to in you. So besides that, read the word of God. There's something that I like to tell people who listen to me. There's such a thing as spiritual memory. If you sit and just decide to read the book of Samuel, okay, out of pleasure, out of delight, like, okay, let me just go and see what the book of Samuel talks about. You start to read about David. You start to read about his military conquests. You start to read about the wives that he married. You start to read about the places he visited. You start to read where he sacrificed to worship God. You start to read what he liked to do, the conversations he had with his with his uh, army chief of staff. 
you start to read those things okay you're not reading them to teach them you're not reading them to discuss them at your bible study you're just reading it to know and to enjoy that knowledge one time you can be having a conversation with one of your friends and then you just find yourself saying but the bible says that david danced before the lord with reckless abandon those words just flow out of your mouth like that why because it has been stored in your spiritual memory because you have been exposed to it so even when the spirit of god goes to remind you something he has where to start from because you have a prior exposure to this word so if you meet an individual for example and you meet them in a crowd if you remember expo right i don't know if it still happens but there was expo for so many years in rwanda and it was it was the plot of the time everyone had to go to expo some went to drink some went to shop some some just went to pass time and to meet their friends and you'd find that they've attended all the days of expo or the three last days or the three first days and the three last days you know what i'm talking about and there are people you have seen there maybe in a crowd maybe you've seen them at the same spot that you went to share a drink with your friends two three four times but you've not necessarily interacted or you said hello to one another and you never saw each other again the moment you see them again three four five months down the road you might say your face looks familiar but i can't figure out where i know you from and as you discuss you begin to realize Oh, I think we met at Expo. There's that muscle, that that memory in your mind that tells you this face you've seen it before it's not the first time. So it's the same thing with the word of God. The more you're exposed to it, the more it just becomes what you're full of. It becomes the things that the spirit will begin now to use to relate and teach you. I've ever had experiences where I could be seated in the office on my computer just doing my work and then all of a sudden in my spirit I hear the Lord start to speak to me. And he's like, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High, for instance. I'm using that as an example. And he's like, have you understood what this scripture means? I'm like, no, my Lord. And then he starts to break it down for me. Gives me examples in my own life. Gives me things that I've seen when I was going through school. Things I can relate to. And such a scripture, my friend, can never leave your mind because they brought it close to home. But there has to be somewhere they start from. And that is the fruit of your exposure to the secret place. The third thing that I tried to talk about, the tip that I gave you, there is listening to that music, there is being exposed to the word, having conversations that stir the gift of God in you. Be surrounded with believers. If you love soccer, and you sit with your fellow friends who love Arsenal or love Manchester United or love PSG like whatever you your your team is you are destined to have a good time because you have that interest you can talk about soccer all those hours you know which team member has been bought recently the money that they bought him the shoes that they have they have on the jersey that they have designed for them and how it came from italy and how it was brought the other day and how many people are buying it and how much it costs all those conversations surround yourself with people who start the gift of god in you whom you will have these conversations with like this is how i'm believing god i made a faith purchase of this i went to visit this woman i went to look for her place i went to look for where she fellowships at or i bought so and so's book so that i can study their lives and you know what i saw i saw that when they were children their parents used to pray over them this is the reason that they have this and that and that and that this is what their sons did When you are a believer, you become a student of patterns. You become a student of the lives of people who inspire you. You wonder, what is the grace that has kept this person from falling? What is the grace that has helped this person serve from when they were 16 years old and today they are 60 years old? What is it about them? You're not a groupie. 
Because in the world, when you like Beyonce and you know how many children she has and you know them by name and you know Jay-Z and you know how they met, you know what her first song is, in the world they call that being a groupie. But in the gospel, they call that studying patterns. And in the book of Jude, the first chapter, the only chapter there is, verse 24, the Bible says that we are kept by God. So as you study these patterns and you say, Lord, I see what you have done for this person. I see how you have kept this minister from when they were 16 and today they are 60. We know of no scandal. They've been married to one man their entire life. They have great children and we see them ministering from their hearts. I connect to this grace because you have studied it and you have seen something there. So surround yourself with things and people. If you love reading like me, read books that keep you within the boundaries of God. And I'm not saying be dull in your mind. There are people who do businesses, but they do it in an ethical way. There are people who have written books about wealth management, about health, about dating, about marriage, about raising children, who are Christians, who have biblical foundational advice to give you. The argument most times that I encounter when I speak such things, people will tell me, but we don't have Christian resources like this. I'm like, no, you've not looked hard enough. Even in scripture, the Bible itself is such a resource. Just go on your phone and get into Google and write, what does the Bible say about money? Say, what does the Bible say about consumerism? What does the Bible say about naming children? You will stop calling your children names that you have seen in movies, names that are not consecrated, that you have no idea what altar they came from. And lastly, make it a habit to involve God in the decisions you make. I'm at a point in my life where I would walk into a store and I'm about to buy something as inconsequential as perfume. And I will ask God, Father, bless this or purify this. Because I don't know, the person who, 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 who produced that line of fragrance I don't know what altar they have sacrificed it on. I don't know what contributed to their success. Maybe they have great suppliers of raw materials, just as they could be in a covenant somewhere with set, with Satan, and he has promised them wealth, and they're living a life that is miserable, but their products are selling. And I believe that because I am in a greater covenant, when I pray for that it is sanctified the bible says that to the pure all things are pure but to those who are defiled all things shall be defiled so child of god when we say he who dwells in the secret place of the most high abides under his shadow a person who lives such a life when you enter your car you play some music you play a sermon you play a gospel song that is filled with the word when you go to the grocery stores you are reciting some of these songs and you're singing them to yourself when you're showering and you feel a urge to speak in tongues you don't hold it back you don't wait for sunday you don't wait for at night before you go to bed to start a prayer ritual where you're going to speak and pray and talk about the entirety of your day when you're at work and nothing has gone wrong the whole day or the whole night and you just say thank you god for a wonderful night at work thank you that there's nothing that has gone wrong today when you invite god in that place continually like there's nothing that's happening that you're not in tandem with when you think of someone during your day and then you just speak a blessing upon their life and you don't take it as a coincidence that they were on your mind at one point during the day or you call them and you ask them how can i agree in prayer with you today you are living in the secret place you don't have to pause your day to invite God in it. You can wake up with God, live your entire day with God, go to bed with God. 
and the more I exercise myself I'm not perfect here I don't mean to make you feel as though there's a place you need to arrive instead I'm encouraging you to go deeper to seek higher for yourself because God is is infinite we can't finish all there is to know about him until the day of Christ so there is more there is more and if you read the rest of Psalm 91 everything else is going to make sense because And once you have read Psalm 91, as I have just explained it, the rest of that psalm will make sense to you. The rest of that psalm will align because now you know what it is to live under that secret place. When David begins to talk about how um, nothing can come near you, there are no foes that will fall on you, there will always be a provision of protection for you. That he is your refuge and his faithful promises are your armor and your protection. When he will say that you will have no fear of the terrors at night. There will be no arrow that flies by day. You will always remember that mountain. And the fact that if you had a way to enter underneath the mountain through a cave, you wouldn't worry about anything that is outside, no matter how dreadful it is. So child of God, I pray that this message lands in the deepest parts of your heart and that you will continuously remember that it is over. We don't have to perform. We dwell under the secret place of the Most High by creating that ambience in how we worship and submit and live under his tutelage. Let's pray. Father, I bless your name for this message. I bless your name that you have already made provision for it to reach every person who needs it, who knows that they were at a place in their life where they needed to know more and more and more on how to enjoy the secret place, how to be lovers of the secret place. I pray for everyone who's listening to me, even myself, Lord, that we may never lose the wonder, that we may never think there's a place in God where we have reached and we know all there is to know until the day of Christ because you are omnipotent you are omnipresent you are infinite and there is always a depth to search in you that will continue to transform us and make us the spirit of just made, made perfect I thank you that you hear me when I pray. It is so and cannot be otherwise. You are indeed our shelter. You are the one under whose shadow we live today and forevermore. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for joining us today. Share this episode far and wide with your friends, with your family, and let it bless you continuously. Get back to it as many times as you need to and continue to repeat these words to yourself. I dwell in the secret place of the Most High and I abide under His shadow now and forevermore. You're blessed.